Every decision I make, everything I do is about freedom. Financial freedom, time freedom, location freedom, physical health freedom. I want to make sure that I am free to make any choice that I want to make at any time. Welcome back, investor, to another episode of the Passive Income Adventures, where we have Senate Eskridge today that we're interviewing. Senate is from South Idaho, which is pretty close to where we're from in Southeast Idaho. And I met him at my real estate investing club a couple of months back, and he really is leveling up. And it's nice to be able to be right behind somebody who's doing something similar to what you're doing and being able to turn and help those along on the path that you're on. And so Senate shares his journey with us from basically working two W-2 jobs over to raising capital, getting out of the single family game because he's trying to really scale and retire early on passive income and trying to figure out how few properties that he can have that looks like an early retirement. And like many of us, figured out that doing things himself and doing things one at a time and doing things small scale, while it's easier to jump into, it's something that you have to figure out at what point you're going to scale out of. And he, I had to make that decision and figure out what that next phase of our lives looked like. So his passive income adventure, this is probably my favorite part of the podcast, is asking them what their passive income adventure bucket list item looks like, because I get a wide variety of answers. And they're always inspiring to me how different they are than what we're going for. It seems like passive income, we want to spend more time with our families and work less. But what does that actually look like in application? So Senate's answer really caught me off guard and helped me realize that no matter what your passive income adventure looks like. It's all about making the world a better place and touching people around you by providing great services, great businesses that bless lives, spending more time with your family, and really getting control over your time freedom so that you can think about what your ideal lifestyle looks like and how you can bless others in your journey to an early retirement. Take a listen to Senate. I know you're going to get a lot out of it, just like I did. Welcome back, Passive Investor. Today, we have Senate Eskridge of Twin Falls, Idaho, and he is a capital raiser. And we are going to have a conversation today about the same thing we talk about every time, the journey from a nine to five worker to early retirement. And it's the space in the middle that is so unique for everybody. So Senate, thank you for being on and I'm looking forward to hearing your full story. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is exciting. Yeah, so we met, I don't know, I guess it's been a couple of months ago at my investing club and yeah. you are a multifamily investor interested in coming in and basically helping raise capital for some deals and looking for some increased deal flow, which is how you and I came across one another and started to get to know one another. How about you tell the listener a little bit more about you and maybe start with your elevator pitch and then give us your background and your history. Absolutely. So what I say is that I help busy professionals and business owners create passive income so they can design their ideal life. And that's really something that's very important to me because at the end of the day, that's my goal. And I know we'll get into the future later, but I want to be able to design my entire life, my ideal life, because I much value freedom. Every decision I make, everything I do is about freedom, financial freedom, time freedom, location freedom, physical health freedom. I want to make sure that I am free to make any choice that I want to make at any time. And it's because I haven't always had that. Now, I've been an entrepreneur the majority of my life. I was the young kid that sold things out of their locker in high school and junior high and that type of thing. And so I was new that I needed to carve my own path to be able to make the kind of income that I wanted to make. 
And I have been an employee several times and I learned very quickly that I am not a good employee. So just don't seem to fit that typical mold of employee. You mentioned I live in Twin Falls, Idaho. I've been here my entire life. I love Idaho. It's a great place to live, but the types of income that I want to make, unfortunately, you can't do that in a traditional path in this area. So I had to think outside the box. I worked one time for a call center. I was a call center manager. I hired a whole bunch of people and we had people all over the globe that worked for us. And that really taught me that I didn't want to be in that type of W2 strict environment because you know, these call center employees, these are the type of people that have to not just clock in and out, but their breaks are scheduled because they're expected to be on the phone so they can answer your call when you call in. So literally, if you need 15 minutes to go to the bathroom, that time is all scheduled. And I was the guy that was enforcing that type of a schedule onto these people. And so obviously I had that type of schedule as well. And again, just to reiterate, the reason I bring that up is because I learned that I don't want to be that. I don't want to be in that way. So I shifted out of that industry into financial services. And I spent a lot of time helping people create that retirement income, that passive investment, that future retirement, getting to 65, setting up 401ks, IRAs, life insurance, all these things that are very important. But the entire time I was investing in real estate, I bought single family houses, duplexes and triplexes, and I was building up this portfolio because I believed it was passive income. And we can dive into that in a second too, but that's really where my journey went was I was investing in this, in real estate and I was helping people invest in stocks and bonds and 401ks. And I felt this huge disconnect between the, I felt like I was almost, I mean, lying is a strong word, but I felt like I was telling people to do one thing and I was doing something else and it just misaligned in my values. Right. So I had to shift gears and fast forward a few years, I left financial advising and went full-time into multifamily and started helping people now invest in the multifamily. And I just absolutely adore it. So the misalignment of values, I really love to dig into that a little bit more because I went through a similar feeling of after I started into multifamily investing and talking about passive income and the whole brand is the passive income adventures. It's what can you do in your life that you can't do if you are not free from locations or free from certain schedules. And it felt very disingenuous to me because most of the people reaching out to me are like, how do I start my own syndication multifamily business? That's not passive either. That's the entrepreneur part of what we're doing. And so it was really difficult for me to say, hey, I'm doing active income. I am an entrepreneur and I'm running a real estate business, but I'm trying to help others get that passive income dream is that's where we're going. And so really had to have a come to Jesus moment about the passive income brand that I had and the message that I'm trying to really get out there and share that lifestyle design where you can spend more time with your loved ones, spend more time on philanthropy. And I just didn't really want to get into coaching and teaching people how to go out and be a syndicator. I felt like that's a career shift. That's not really a, so much of a lifestyle shift. And most people come to me and they're like, oh, I want passive income. I want to spend more time with my family. I'm like, then don't start a multifamily business <laughs> unless that is your highest and best use of your time to make the most income that you possibly can so that you can invest more money passively and get there sooner. So that misalignment of values has really been something I'm spending a lot of time thinking about the past year, even maybe year and a half as I'm shifting out of more of an active investor, more to a passive investor myself. So I'd love to hear your journey from getting those values to start aligning so that the people that you're talking to and the advice that you're giving really lines up with what you're doing in your real life. 
Wow, that's a great question. So let's talk a little bit about the, the details of what you just said about active income and just explain what that means. Because all of my people that work with me want the same thing. They want passive income. And at the end of the day, that's what I want as well. My long-term goal, I've got a very specific thing where I have to take basically a year off down the road and I've got to have a pretty good income goal and a business that can run without me for a year. And so how do you now have that conversation with people that you're helping do that while you're not doing that? That alignment comes with, I'm doing this business so that down the road, I can take that year off and I can focus. Everything that I'm doing right now is all about that. I'm setting up business processes in my business and schedules and getting assistance and that type of thing so that when this time comes, so we're going to be 20, 2027, maybe 28 is when I'll be able to do it. I can now put everything on autopilot and focus on my business. And so now I feel like I have that alignment because even though what I'm doing is active today, now I have that goal that I'm pushing it towards. Does that answer the question? Yeah, because we all ended up in this business, those of us who are multifamily syndicators, to get that passive income. And then yeah. setting those goals and those timelines, I think that there's a big, I call it like the dirty little secret of commercial real estate, that there's not a whole lot of cash flow in the beginning. They're like, oh, you have a 500 units, you have a thousand units, you must be so wealthy. No, it, these are like laying golden eggs that take a while to actually hatch. And so mm -hmm. the cash flow issue of it and trying to, teach other people that you're going to get more passive income. No, this is a long haul. This is a long haul type of thing. And I really want to get that message out there that, that make sure that the person that you're listening to and the advice that you're getting is from somebody who's actually walking their own talk. And as financial investors, I hear this a lot, that they're giving people advice to do something. Maybe they're even taking their own advice, eating their own dog food, and it doesn't work. And they have that moment where they're like, I'm not rich and I'm not ready to retire early. I'm barely ready to retire at 65 and they'll make a change and then they can no longer give that advice to their clients. That's a very common scenario I hear from financial advisors who have switched over to the real estate space. So I think it's really important to point that out that you went through that journey yourself and how you get that back into alignment so that you are walking your own talk and what you're doing is actually working so that then you can help other people who are maybe a little farther behind us on the path to get to where you are. So that's beautiful. And that alignment of values really says a lot about you and your commitment to integrity. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. Totally. The people you work with really need to be doing what they're telling you to do. And specifically, I put a lot of my own money into the deals that I help people invest in. And one of the things that I teach, I have this checklist of things that you should ask a syndicator or a capital raiser, the person that's helping you invest into a deal. And one of the questions is how much money do you have invested in this deal? Yeah. And just to be clear for your listeners, the answer can be no or zero. It can be zero, right? But there has to be a pretty good reason behind it. For me, I've got one deal that I haven't put any money in and it was because all of my money was tied up in other deals. And this deal came to me and it was a great opportunity for my investors. But just to be clear, I put money of my sister's money in there and money of my mom's <laughs> in there, right? So it's not really my money, but it was people that were really close to me. Yeah. I always ask, how much money are you putting in this deal? I think that's an important question to ask, but the answer could be how much money they have in. And if they say zero, what's the reason why? That's a top question Absolutely. I always ask. They don't have to have skin in the game as far as financial goes, because I would rather do a deal with none of my own money then pass up on a great deal that would do well for my investors yes. 
just because I don't personally have the cash. So that's a way that our club functions that you have to put in your own cash. It's a joint venture club is basically what it is. And if you can't put in your own cash, you, you can't do the deal unless they have some way to go out and raise capital for it on their own, which is possible, but we really do require skin in the game, both legally and just as a tenant of our club. And so for me to go out and say, okay, I'd like to raise additional capital because I don't always have enough cash to put into every deal that I think is a great deal. There aren't that many of them, especially not right now when the market's shifting and people haven't really gotten on board yet with, hey, your property's not worth as much as you thought it was. No, I'm victim of that with the things that I own. I'm like, oh, I don't want to sell it if that's what I have to sell it for. But being able to say, hey, I have my own money deployed and now I need to think about like, how am I going to help my investors get into this great deal? And you have to go out and, and raise capital. And sometimes you can't put your own cash in. But I love that we put our own cash in as often as we possibly can, because we believe not just in the project, but we believe in what we're doing is the path to passive income and early retirement. Because I got into that same single family trap that you did. Yeah. The single families right now are really what are supporting our cash flow. So you can't dog on the single families for the fact that's what's paying me and they turn around really fast in the cash flow. But as a long-term scalable strategy, those are not staying in the portfolio a minute longer than I feel like they need to be in there just to keep that short-term cash flow going. So I'd love to hear more about how you made that transition and realized you couldn't scale this. And now you're a multifamily investor and kind of bring us up to date on where you are today. Yeah, for sure. So I started in the single family space in 2009 with a house I couldn't sell. Right. So I literally I was just coming out of the crash and I had to move. And this one move was going to save me. I did the math and it was going to save me almost as much as my mortgage just by moving. So it was a good thing for me financially. But now I had this house that was sitting vacant and nobody wanted to buy it. So what do you do with a house like that? You rent it out. And I just fell in love with the cash flow. And so I decided to do it again. And if you have one or two houses, they really don't take a lot of time if you rent them out. But I discovered duplexes and triplexes. And then I discovered a thing called the Burr strategy, which is a lot of people probably know what that is, but basically you buy a junker and you fix it up and you refinance it. And before I could get it refinanced, somebody offered me a bunch of money for it. So now I'm an accidental flipper, right? And I did this whole thing and repeated it several times throughout the course of say 10 years. And I got up to the point where I essentially had two full-time jobs. I had my financial advising business and I also sold IT services, right? Two different W2 jobs that I was just, just crushing my time. And then also focusing on these single family businesses. And I brought in property managers. I brought in teammates. I brought in businesses and I was building this business, but I always ran out of time at the end of the day. And I got to the point where I was running out of money, actual liquid cash, but most importantly, I was running out of lending options. There's a ton of rules around how many mortgages that you can have and how many loans you can have in single family space because they want to protect the consumer. And that was the biggest catalyst for I've got to shift out of single and into commercial. And yes, there are ways you can use commercial loans for single family, but what's the point? If you're going to go get these commercial loans anyway, just go buy the buildings they're intended for. We have refinanced some of our residential properties into commercial loans because same thing, we either ran out of loans or our debt to income ratio was too high. I find the lending process on recourse loans or on residential to be incredibly invasive. They're looking at your global portfolio. So I had one where I had this great deal, but the lender, it was a commercial deal, great deal, but it was small balance. And so 
they wanted to look at my entire portfolio, global cash flow, global debt service coverage ratio. And there were two properties in there that they're like, these aren't meeting our standards. I'm like, that's not even the property that I'm asking for a loan for. And that's when I realized not only do I not want any more single family residential loans for the one to fours, this was a five unit that I was doing. I don't even want small balance anymore. If they're going to look at my entire portfolio and make decisions based off these globals, then I'm going to run into the same lending trouble with commercial that I did with single family. So that's a really great point that looking at your long-term loan options should be part of the game plan if you're doing this act and figuring out what that looks like. Can you actually even get a loan on this property? And we definitely have struggled through the same thing and running out of your own money. I was like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a commercial loan and I'm going to raise capital. Let's just go for the big time. And that's really where the shift happened for me as well. Absolutely. So we're similar paths. And then as far as the, the reason I started shifting into helping people invest capital, I knew I was doing this and I had that opportunity to grow the investor base. And I love helping people. It's just something I've always enjoyed doing. And I now with multifamily, I have the opportunity to help people have a great place to live. And then I have an opportunity to take a junky building and fix it up and help my community. And at the same time, I have the ability to help investors, help people put their money to work, give them a great return while doing all those other things too. So I decided to start taking investor capital into my multifamily. And when I did that, I had to let my financial advising business go because the brokerage firm I was with believed that was a conflict of interest. I couldn't have people invest in stocks and bonds and things over here and in multifamily over here. And now there, there are advisory firms that will allow you to do both but there's a lot of regulations and I decided that it would be better for me long-term, that long-term thinking, let that, let those FINRA rules and all that go away. So now I can just focus on this business. And I did that for quite a while and started building up the multifamily portfolio, helping investors come in while still having that W2 job selling IT services and which is a great business. I had a, an amazing boss that I worked with and a great company that treated me really well. And I was able to do that then for about a year and a half. And at that point I had to make a shift. And it was because again, I ran out of time, even though I'd let one whole business go a year and a half ago, still my multifamily business, as you indicated earlier, it's not passive. What you and I do, it's a lot of work <laughs> and between travel and going to see properties and all these things, it takes a lot of time. And so I had to make a choice. Do I scale? Which business do I let go? This W2 job that I don't have any ownership in that is not helping me with my long-term goals that I'd have to work for until I'm 65 years old to be able to retire or my real estate business that I can actually grow and own something that is mine. And then I can actually hit those passive income goals in the near future. So in March of 2021, I left that to go full-time into multifamily and focus on that. And now since then I've scaled that up and I've done now 11 deals since then in the multifamily space, I've helped almost a hundred investors invest into multifamily all over the country. And today I'm looking to scale that up into a couple of other bigger players that are in the game that are doing larger numbers, bigger properties, class A properties, class B properties. And then I will also look to add in another asset class in the near future. I'm an expert in multifamily. I understand the multifamily space very well, but I'm going to find another operator with another thing to work in 
I don't want I don't want to say exactly what it is yet. But something besides multifamily, right? There's a lot of other asset classes out there, industrial, self-storage, retail, that type of thing. And I'm really vetting the other operators, right? So that I know that the person that I go with and the asset class that I go with is really good. And that's one of the keys to working with somebody like myself is my job is to really to make sure that this property and the operator that I'm bringing to my investors is the right fit that is a good asset class for them. And so I spend a lot of time looking at these deals. I'm actually next week, I'm flying all the way to Texas and I'm going to go look at seven properties and meet four operators just to make sure that the next deal I bring to my people is a good deal. The key of the person who is running the property cannot be overstated when you are putting your money into a deal, especially as a limited partner, because limited partners, what we do is we vet the deal, we vet the town, we vet the operator. And then when we put our money in, that's it. We have no more control, which for me is awesome because I don't actually like being an asset manager or property manager and I'm not very good at it. And so I don't think anybody should say, oh, well, I really want you in there to be operating this property. But being able to vet out people who can do a great job without you having to be in there consult, without you having to be in there and babysitting, it again, cannot be overstated the importance of who's got their hands on the construction, who has their hands on the financials. So what does that look like? What are you working on right now? Like you said, you're going to vet some new operators so that you can expand your offerings to your investors by diversifying into some other things other than just multifamily so that you can have a great stable of operators in every asset class that it is you're going to diversify into. Walk us through what you're working on right now and what your business looks like at this moment. I want to be very careful to not talk about a specific deal yet that is not launched because there's a lot of rules. We all know about different 506B, 506C and that type of thing. But what I am, what I'm doing is I'm interviewing constantly people that I want to work with. Mm -hmm. And so I actually just attended a conference in Louisville, Kentucky. I spent thousands of dollars, I, not quite 10, but thousands of dollars to go and meet several other operators to go and learn about their business, learn about what it is that they're doing and how they're successful, what they're working on, what they're not working on, things I like, things I don't like. And the key I think would be how many that I'm turning away. Just in, this, in the last two weeks, I have turned down, I have passed on 15 different deals in two weeks. That's one a day, yeah, or more than one a day. And part of that is I've actually crossed off two different operators. I'm like, I'm never going to do a deal with those guys. And it's just, it's just, I don't like the way they underwrite. We have a misalignment. We don't feel good. Maybe my goal right now, as far as the building of my business is how do I make sure that when I have a good deal, a deal for somebody, I know it's a good deal. I spend a lot of time betting that. Being the manager for capital for others, they there's a certain amount of of due diligence on one's own part. I hate when people tell me, here's some money, just go do whatever you think is best. I trust you. It's absconding that responsibility that you have for your own financial well-being and your own financial future onto somebody else. But at the same time, there needs to be a certain level of vetting out and trusting that the person that you're investing your money with is going to be doing a great job with this. So how do you strike the balance between complete and total trust, which is never a good plan, and being too nitpicky on the other side of thing and nitpicking something to death and asking zillions of questions and a nice balance of finding a group of people that you trust and you're willing to put your money in with because it's a spectrum. Absolutely. I would say that it's, I start on the nitpicky side 
every time I do a deal, the first deal with someone. And the first deal I look at, I go through everything with a fine tooth comb and I'm betting everything that I possibly can about it. And I don't have to ask a lot of questions generally because I've seen so many of these and I have so much experience. If I have a deal package and I can get the underwriting, the T12, and I can go through and I can underwrite it all myself and figure out, is this a good deal, right? Would I put my personal money there generally? And so now I only have to ask two or three questions, right? Four or five questions. But then the second deal, these operators, they generally do the same type of thing over and over, the same structure, the same legal documents, and they're just recycling it. And that's good because now I don't have to spend as much time. If it's literally the same contract, I just have to skim it and make sure that nothing's changed. Because I've already read it. I've already read it. I've already vetted it. If they're using the same underwriting template each time, I can just go and look at just a few key points. It's that first deal that you do with somebody that you don't know. And that's one of the reasons I'm so slow to talk about this new asset class that I'm going to be bringing out is because as I mentioned earlier, I'm an expert on multifamily. <clears throat> I'm not an expert on this new asset class yet. So I'm still learning. And so I'm super slow. And you talk about the level of due diligence and questions. I am that guy that's asking the dumb questions because I don't know that asset class yet. And that's how you learn. You read books, you go to seminars, you take classes, you just study all of those types of things. And that's exactly what I do. And that's one of the biggest values that I bring to others is I can do all that for them. So they don't have to. The people you talk to, these busy professionals and the people that are in their high paying nine to five jobs, they don't have time to go and learn all of these things that you and I do. That's a great point because as we're diversifying our offerings as well, because you need to niche down when you're the operator. You really need to have a farm area where you know what the rent comps are and you're doing lots of properties that are clustered together and really dive into that niche. What do they say? The riches are in the niches and the <laughs> specialization is what really builds expertise and what builds wealth. But at the same time, the way you keep wealth is to diversify. And when you're moving into a diversified offering, it's sometimes difficult to know what questions to even ask when you are somewhat of a beginner. I like to start with something that's related to what I'm doing so that I can come in and have at least some tangential or some overlap of experience. And that's where I start diversifying. So how do you figure out which asset class you're going to diversify into? Because multifamily is really hot right now. And without giving us too much information, because there are a lot of rules we need to follow about conditioning the market and things like that. But just to say, like when you're first considering a diversified asset class, what are you asking yourself so that you can get up to speed as quickly as possible? Yeah. So similar to what you said, start with something that's close to what you know. The same commercial loans that if you're doing something that are in the commercial loan space, like multifamily, something like self-storage or industrial or triple net, those type of things, the loans are very similar, right? So the lending sides are, go the terms are going to be the same versus something like way out of left field. Let's talk like crypto, right? Crypto is a totally different loan system. The depreciation system is completely different. Uh, I talked to somebody that is doing an e-commerce fund, right? Where he's, he's like raising money for e-commerce websites. It seems almost like an IPO or a stock thing. It's so far out of left field. It's, I'm not saying it's bad. It might be amazing, but it's so far away from what I know and what I understand that the timed execution would be absolutely massive. Right. So something that's similar to what, you know, and especially if you're going to be in the operator space, which I know that's not what we're talking about, but you want to get as close as you can. So 
if you did, if you're an operator for multifamily in say, I don't know, Charlotte, North Carolina, maybe you should be an operator for something else in Charlotte, right? You already know the area, you know, the sides of town that are good, the sides of town that are bad. Keep it as close as you can, but now also diversify away. I have some operator friends who take a lot of pride in rightly that they live 10 minutes or 20 minutes from the bulk of their properties. And they're very reluctant to take on a property that's outside of that circle. That's the type of operator that I'm looking for to manage my niched portfolio, maybe in that area and that property type. I have the advantage of being a more passive investor and raising capital and helping other people be more diversified that I can find several operators who are highly niched down like that and really specialist operators at what they do and be able to say, okay, so for our markets in multifamily in Dallas, this is the person that I go to, or these are the two or three people that I go to for self-storage and new construction. I have these two or three and they might be in a different city. They might be different operators. I don't want to get too many of them. I really want to keep my stable a manageable size. Oh, they would hate it if they heard me call them a stable of operators, but I want to keep that a manageable <laughs> size. And so how many operators and deals, cities do you typically get involved in before you feel like it's just getting too far out of your own wheelhouse and you, it would be better off that you would just be a passive investor rather than as a consultant or an active participant in, in that general partnership? I haven't actually found that number yet. So I'm currently growing those people that I work with, that stable of investors or managers that I work with, operators. And currently in last year, I did deals with four different operators mm -hmm. and that, that felt comfortable to me. I did four different operators in three and that felt just fine for me. This year, I'll probably do a few more and I'm adding in that other asset class. My guess, just my pure guess, and I don't want to, I hate doing that, but I'm going to think 10. 10 is going to be my max that I can keep up with and that I can build substantive relationships with. I can have quality relationships with. I can know what it is that they're doing. I can have a, I can have a good feel for their ecosystem. Any more than 10, and I think that I wouldn't be able to keep up. I agree. I would say for me, five to eight that are doing a lot of volume because if you want to place a lot of capital and help as many investors as you can, and you want to keep the group of people that you're working with on a personal level, you can't have too many, which means they need to be doing a decent volume of deals. But I would also add that maybe up to 10, some of those would be newer operators. Maybe they are just getting a start and that's a, it's a diversification play and an opportunity to just test drive them a little bit, put a little bit of cash with them, maybe start out with just my own cash and get to know them through that way. But I wouldn't want any more than 10 really strong, solid operators who are doing a lot of volume because it just gets to be too much. But I always like to leave a little bit in reserve so that we can dabble, so to speak. It's the same yeah. way I do invest a little bit in tech startups. And I do invest a little bit in a few other things, but that's my dabble money rather than True. I, this is the money I'm going to keep my lights on with and send my children to college with. So having the ability to vet out operators and get a really solid group, but then still leaving room open for some new opportunities, whether it's in an asset class or an operator, or a new city, maybe you haven't been in before having a little bit of that on the side, I found is really useful. And so I, I maybe an 80, 20 rule. I don't know where, how do you feel about that type of balance? Yeah, I think that part that's out on the fringes is really where we can grow and expand. So there's this old saying we've heard several times that growth happens outside your comfort zone. Yes. You know, so if you use that, that kind of 80, 20 principle, and you've got some of that money to play with, right? That maybe you go and learn something. For example, I have a little bit of money in crypto. 
I quickly learned that's not where I want my money, right? <laughs> but point is, I put a little bit of money over there that's my own money and just to learn the space and learn what's happening about it. That guy that has that e-commerce fund, I'm probably going to give him a little bit of my own money and just to go and now learn those pieces. And who knows? Maybe I fall in love with it and I learn a lot about it and I, now I can come and I can talk to those kind of people, right? So I want to have a little bit of money that kind of, that not the core money, right? Not the college money, not the retirement money, not the passive money out into a couple of different things so that I can learn. As far as expanding the locations, I think it's great to go and visit these cities. And so for me, I've got a couple of trips planned this year where I'm just going to go and take a, I like to call it a vacation to nowhere. Yeah. Imagine if you were going to, wanted to invest in Orlando, Florida, you go on vacation to Orlando, Florida, but this is not time for you to go to Disney or Universal. And maybe you do that while you're there too, but this is time for you to go and explore the city and to learn about it and to get a feel for what's happening in the area. Uh, and that's part of this trip that I told you that I have coming up next week. I'm going to just go to dinner at random places. And I found some of my friends that live close and we're just going to go and hang out. And I'm going to ask questions about the city and what do you like it here? What do you not like about it here? That type of thing. It's a great excuse to travel more. I know when we go see my husband's family, we have to drive through the town that has our rentals in it. Because I try and invest along that corridor. So every time we're going to go see them, because we know that area better than where we're living. And my kids are always like, oh, are we going to go look at real estate on the way up there? Are we just going to drive straight up there? And I told them one time, <laughs> I said, look, this is how we're homeschooling you. So pay attention and just be grateful that you have a mom who has apartment buildings. Who else do you know that does that? And they their attitude completely changed. Now they recognize that when we travel places and we go places that there's going to be some sort of a conference involved and that there's going to be some sort of a real estate fact finding mission involved because you're right. You need to take advantage of those opportunities of travel to get to know new cities. And if there's some place that you're interested in, the best thing to do is just go there, look around and figure out, Hey, the West side of this town is great. The East side, not so much. The corridor between the airport and the downtown is typically the path of progress. Let's go check it out and see if that's holds true in this case. Being able to just get your boots on the ground, even if you don't live there, is highly valuable. And it's a nice tax write-off if you do decide to go to Disney on the side. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but this is another advantage of these passive investors that invest with people like you and I. Because busy doctor maybe doesn't have time to go do that kind of stuff, right? Or a lawyer that's working 70, 80 hours a week and trying to get out of that can't go to Louisville, Kentucky or Kansas City and just spend time just looking, right? That's what they pay us for. It's also helped me, and I wonder how true you found this to be in your own case, to learn this as a business and eventually feel more comfortable with just becoming a straight up passive investor. I know you start out thinking, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy apartments instead of single families, and then I'm gonna be the money partner, and now I'm gonna just be basically like a limited partner. I know so many limited partners who are trying to go the other direction, like they want some hands-on experience in the general partnership. But for me, learning this business helps me to have more confidence that when it's time for me to just put my money in and not have anything else to do with it anymore, just a pure limited partner, that we're now going that direction. It must enhance your own passive income journey to have the knowledge that you have so that you can invest with other people with confidence. Absolutely. And long-term, that's my goal is I want to just be the passive investor. You can go sit. That's the only way you can go and just sit on the beach and drink a Mai Tai. And that's not really what I'm going to do, right? I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go sit on the beach for months and months, but I want to have that as a choice. And so this knowledge is helping me learn what kind of questions to ask, what to look for, who's good, who isn't good, who can give me the best kind of returns. 
And so that way I know that when I put my money out, I know that it's in a good spot. There's no better way to learn something than by doing. It's another 80-20 thing. You research, you do all your due diligence, you try and go to the places and visit and do all the things. But the last 20%, you're never going to get that unless you just go and do it. Just get some money in the deal, whether you're an active or a passive investor, just get some money into play and get some experience under your belt because there's no better way to learn something than by doing. So what are you working on right now that you wouldn't be able to work on if you weren't having this passive income lifestyle? What are you learning by doing and what's on what's on your passive income adventure bucket list coming up? I am a self-professed personal development junkie. I do not believe that I am yet the perfect version of myself. I've got a long way to go to get to that point. I'm sure you can see behind me, I've got a lot of books and I spend a lot of time reading and a lot of time going to conferences. In fact, my wife and I actually estimated we have spent well over $100,000 each on personal development. And that includes conferences and books and courses and all these other things, the travel, the food while we're there. It's daunting the amount of time and money that we've spent. We actually decided to bring a personal development conference to our hometown. My wife is Southern Idaho's premier wedding and event planner, right? She's the best of the best at what she does. And so I wanted to bring this. And so we decided to do that. And now we're going on a third year where we bring a Tony Robbins style event to Southern Idaho. And it's absolutely phenomenal. And I get a lot out of that. Like I get to attend. I got to pick up our keynote speaker last year from the airport and I got to spend three hours with him in the car. And then I took him golfing the next uh, next day and spent just a ton of time with this guy. And by the way, he's not a low level guy, right? He's pretty high up there, pretty high thinking. And so it's a lot of stuff for me, but I'm always focused on that personal development. And I'm a bit of a Tony Robbins fan. I've done a lot of things with Tony Robbins. I've read several of his books, his audios. My wife and I are doing Unleash the Power Within UPW twice this year. We're really diving into that ecosystem. And the reason behind that is that goal, that thing that I'm looking towards is I'm going to join Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership. For those of you who don't know what this is, like the mecca of personal development. And it basically takes a year to go through this program. So when you become a platinum partner, you get a ticket to every in-person event that Tony does. And some years that's four, some years that's six, whatever. And it's a VIP session. And then also you get to go on three to four trips with Tony Robbins and a special speaker, right? About let's say branding. He's gonna bring in Russell Bronson or Richard Branson, one of those guys, right? That's really big about branding. And you spend three to five days on a cruise going through Europe, right? Something like that with Tony and this expert and just the other people that are in Platinum Partners. Imagine that network that you're going to build, right? With 30 to 40 people that are able to do this level of elite personal development. So not only does it take a lot of time, but it's also a very expensive program. And so that is my number one goal. That is why I'm pushing so hard to get this personal development, because I want to be able to take that year to grow and to help that become that ideal version of myself. Those things that are time consuming and expensive are the things that the passive income lifestyle is built around. And just think about after you get through that program, that personal development oozes out of you and touches every life that you come into contact with. That is a fantastic goal. I have a couple of friends who've gotten into the platinum and are, are going through that program 
as well. And it's really been inspiring to me, even though I haven't really delved into that too far. Realizing the power of this type of development, hiring coaches for myself, and just realizing that it's not just for myself. It's for my family and it's for everybody them around. That is a, that is an amazing goal. And every, sometimes that's one that I think I need to put on my, on my vision board behind me here, because I, sometimes I'll ask that question and they'll come up with something and I'll say, oh, wow. Yeah. I should really add that to my bucket list. That's pretty amazing. And you're going to have so many amazing personal experiences as well as the ability to come back and change so many lives once you are through that program, or even while you're going through that program, it's going to be amazing. What a great goal. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. I'm excited for it. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you? And I always ask, more importantly, why should people get a hold of you? I'm on almost every social media. My, my name's very unique. So if you Google Senate Eskridge, you're going to find me. But the best way to get a hold of me is through my website, senateskridge.com. And uh, why? That's an interesting question. So I have a passion for helping people. I love helping people. I mentioned that earlier in our discussion. So I want it, people come into my ecosystem to learn, to have me help them, to assist them in their goals. I actually have a course on my website, you know, Investing 101. It breaks down all the difference between passive investing and active investing and all the terms that people need to know. I have a due diligence checklist about what to ask before investing in a passive investment. And I'm continually putting out more and more content. I'm working on a book and a couple other things right now that are in the back, back end, but coming into my ecosystem, the reason would be because I love helping people and I would love to help you achieve your goals. Well said. I think that that speaks for many of us. We just want to help. We want to teach and we want to be able to bless the world and whatever that looks like for that individual person having the freedom to be able to go after that and build that is priceless. Senate, how about you wrap up with telling us how you got that unusual name and then we will send everybody off to go visit your website. Absolutely. It's actually, it's not as interesting story as it sounds, <laughs> right? So it's a unique name. Everybody asks me if I had political aspirations or anything <laughs> like that. And the answer is no. And yes, my name is Senate. That's on my driver's license, just as it's spelled. But I'm named after Senate Creek in Idaho. It's a stream about an hour north of Sun Valley, Idaho. It's between Sun Valley and Stanley, Idaho. And this is gorgeous creek on Galena Summit. And my family went camping there before my dad was born, right? So we have a mine there, we had logging rights, and I personally have spent countless, countless camping trips, weekends, summers, months, in this area of the country. And it's just a beautiful place. And I'm honored to be named after Senate Creek. That actually is a pretty interesting story. And as someone who myself spends a lot of time in South East and Southern Idaho, I can tell you it is a beautiful area and it is an honor to be named after something there because it is wild country that's unlike and I grew up in Seattle, so I'm saying like, <laughs> I know what rugged and wild country looks like. And so I feel like this spending so much time in this area, because that's where my husband grew up has been a real blessing in my life. So it's actually a great story. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you. All Thank right, you. everybody, yeah. please feel free to reach out to senateeskridge.com. Follow him on social, grab some of his educational materials and reach out because we want to help you build your passive income so that you can go on your next adventure.
I found that answer at the end to be inspiring because I feel like most of us who are wanting passive income, it's not for greedy, selfish reasons so that we can just sit on a beach drinking Mai Tais in Mexico. It's so that we can figure out how to be a blessing to those around us and to bless lives of those around us to become the best version of ourselves and how that can then start to seep out of us into every life that we come in contact with, whether it's one of our colleagues, one of our children, our tenants, our partners, anybody that we come in contact with, that we can be a blessing to them and somehow leave the world a better place than what we found. So if you found that inspiring like I did, reach out to Senate and let him know if you'd like him to help you put your money to work and get into some passive income investments. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, my website is highrise.group, H-I-G-H-R-I-S-E dot G-R-O-U-P. And you can jump on and book some time on my calendar or follow me on social as we're going on our own passive income adventure to see where we are in the world and what we're up to that day. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, let's figure out together what your next passive income adventure looks like. Thank you.